I'm Debbie Cook, and I am back with the D&B Lawn and Garden Podcast for February. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with me, for the past 14, 16 years, I was doing the D&B Supply Garden Show on KIDO, and I am now lucky enough to be over here doing some podcasts for D&B Supply as well. So welcome to the February podcast, if you can even believe that it's February already. And what does that mean in the gardening world? It means that we are only about 100 days away from our last average frost date, which around here is May 10th. So um, we still have some time to do some planning. So a couple of things on the agenda for this month. I um, want to talk, we've been getting some questions about some garden design, about things that we might be thinking about in the garden. And of course, there's loads of things that we can be thinking about for February. And we did have um, a good question that I thought for this time of year from um, one of our listeners who was wondering if it's too late to use leaves as a garden mulch on, um, on their beds. And so what I'll have to say is we still have 100 days. That's a pretty, that's a good three months, a little more than three months worth of time um, for those leaves to do the business that they're supposed to do. One of the things I'll say is the smaller the pieces, the quicker they decompose. So if you are using this on a vegetable bed, I would um, suggest that you, you know, run over them with your lawnmower if you can, or if you have a string trimmer. Um, but the smaller the pieces, the better. If you are mulching with um, full leaves, what happens lots of times is they mat together and um, get kind of slimy and it takes a longer time for them to break down. Um, and they're just not, it's just more effective if the pieces are smaller. So if you are using these in a mulch in your landscape beds, you can certainly use those now. And you can put those, you know, I'm going to say a good three, three, four inches deep on your, um, on your perennial beds or in your landscape beds. Um, put them right on top. If you are talking about your vegetable garden bed, I would go a little lighter and put maybe a couple of inches on the top of the soil. I wouldn't till them in. Um, all of those microbes that are right there working at the top of the soil will continue to break down those leaves. And I think you'll be amazed at how you'll find that earthworms really love to move into those areas and start decomposing those leaves for you. Some of the best nutrients you can add back to your soil. Um, the mulch that you're using in your vegetable or in your perennial beds um, help not only moderate the soil temperature, so it keeps a lot of those perennial plants from heaving up out of the ground. But it will help hold um, moisture in through the year and it will help hold weeds down. So mulch is always a really, really wonderful thing to use in your beds. So thanks for the question. That came from um, Beck and Chris. Appreciate the question. Um, and if anybody else has any questions, you can certainly send those to us at social at dbsupply.com. And we would be happy to answer any of your garden questions. And um, you can certainly also go to our Facebook page, to Instagram, to Twitter, and any of those places that you can um, ask a question to us and we'd be happy to answer. Glad to do it. So I'll tell you, it was kind of interesting when I started looking, <laughs> thinking about talking about garden design. Um, there are so many types of gardens. And they all have their own little elements of design. And um, there are a few elements, of course, that are similar to all of them. 
But when I started looking, like I said, at types of gardens, there are so many from um, rose gardens to small space gardens to cutting gardens, um, shade gardens. Woodland gardens, what they say in woodland gardens uh, is a winding path is pretty necessary as an element in a woodland garden. Um, English or cottage gardens, Zurich gardens. I want to um, say Zurich, not zero, uh, because Zurich is basically dry landscaping, um, not no landscaping. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, there's water gardens, there's kitchen gardens, there's fragrance gardens. So lots of different types of gardens and whatever suits your fancy is, um, is what's right for you. But there are certainly some elements of design in all of these gardens that kind of carry through that will help your garden look a little more appealing to the eye. Um, and I thought I'd pass along some of those tips. Uh, that might make it a little bit easier if you are planning a new landscape, which I know that there are, is so much new building going on in this valley. So if you have a new landscape, you may be completely overwhelmed. Um, but also, wow, what a great way to start out with a completely blank slate and be able to do whatever you want. Um, if you have a mature garden that you're wanting to redo, that entails maybe sometimes a little bit more work. Um, and a little bit more, I don't know, resolve when you look at something and say, that's not working for me and decide to take out a plant. That's sometimes a hard thing to do. But let's talk about some of the elements that might be um, important to think about when you're looking at and thinking about garden design. And one of the first things that they all sort of mention, and it's one of the most important and useful elements of design, and they call it lines. And lines are basically the way that the garden flows, the way it draws your eye through the garden. Um, and there's basically four ways to think about lines. There's curved lines, which add um, a lot of informal interest to the garden. Of course, there's straight lines, which, um, and we've all seen gardens with straight lines, which are very formal. Um, the horizontal gardens which um, add a sense of stability so a lot of things that line up horizontally through the garden and then of course vertical gardening or the vertical elements of the garden which draw your eyes up and out of the garden so if there's something um, an element in your garden that you're not crazy about um, that's something that you can certainly consider um, if you wanted to move the eye away from that area and up and away you could put some tall shrubbery down there one of the things about lines, of course, is as they lead your eye through the garden, um, is that you are the one that gets to decide what is around the bend or what is the next thing that the eye is going to see. So that's kind of a fun thing to think about when you think about lights. Or, I mean, about, uh, sorry, when you think about lines. The other thing to think about is scale. And that's something that um, we've all probably noticed. And scale would be, basically the relationship of size to the main element of the garden. So if you've got a small house, putting a huge, huge, uh, for example, giant sequoia tree in your front yard uh, may not be your best choice of uh, trees when it comes to scale. 
Um, so think about the way uh, the plants or the other elements of the garden are going to relate to one another when it comes to scale. Um, pattern is another thing that they mention a lot um, in garden design. And that's basically um, the repetition of shapes in the garden. And it's used to draw your attention to an area. So if you have um, a herringbone path, say, walking or leading through the garden, it draws people through the garden with nothing more than the pattern. Um, balance is another thing that they talk about. And of course, that's something that if you have um, an axis in the middle of your landscape, balancing it, of course, on either side and making, um, making it an even or symmetrical landscape is very formal. And if you have an asymmetrical landscape with basically big trees on one side of that axis and nothing on the other, it makes a more formal or a more informal design in your garden. So that's another thing. They talk a lot about contrast um, and how you use colors, basically. Um, the contrast could be something like a sky rocket juniper, which is kind of a bluish color with maybe a red twig dogwood in front of it. Um, colors having to do with flower blossoms um, play a big role in contrast and color. Of course, color uses a lot on the color wheel. And for any kind of a contrast, you want to get those colors widely as widely separated as possible on that color wheel. Um, the cool colors like the blues and the purples and the greens are basically more soothing. And they'll recede into the background and give you a more soothing look in your garden. Whereas the warmer colors like the reds and the oranges and the yellows, um, they really kind of pop out into your garden um, and have a big, a big effect on that particular part of the garden. So those are some of um, the design elements that you might want to think about as far as the design of your garden goes. You know, one of the things that, I, um, that I'd like to suggest, which is kind of interesting to me, take a picture of your garden. I can't even tell you. I think it's pretty interesting that your garden looks much different in a picture than it does when you just stand on your patio and look out over your yard. Um, when you look at the picture, you can see things that you don't necessarily notice as you're standing there admiring all your work. But you might see plants that you don't like. You might see plants that are too large. Um, plants might need to be moved. Um, taking a picture this time of year shows you the real bones of your garden. And by that, I mean the things that you're not going to change very easily, like the trees and the shrubs. Um, those things are, you know, a little bit harder to change and more expensive to change. But um, take a picture. Take a picture throughout the year. If you took four pictures a year of your garden, I think you'd be really surprised at... Um, at what it is that you're, you know, that you're seeing in your own garden. It's kind of fun. So those are some things that you might want to consider, like I said, for design. But what um, I really would like you to consider are some of the other things that have to do with planning your garden. And these are the things that you really um, need to consider for the health of your garden. And one of the things that I'd really like to mention is recognizing um, the natural constraints of your geographic region. 
And what do I mean by that? I mean that it's really hard in the Treasure Valley to have something like an English garden. Um, you can have them, of course, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of water. And um, recognizing the fact that these plants are probably always a little bit on the stress side just because of our geographic region. What do we have here? You know, in our region, we're high desert. So we have really, really hot days in the summer, nicely cooling down in the evening. Um, we have a high pH soil, unless you're lucky enough to maybe live down by the river or in some lucky little pocket. Um, most of us have a high pH soil. And the further west we go, the higher the that pH gets and the more clay-like soil we have. Um, and it's dry. It is dry here. Our average rain here is about 11 to 12 inches a year, um, when the national average is 38. So um, think about water and how our plants are going to respond in this kind of a situation. So think about your geographic region when you're, you know, thinking about that. Um, the other, th when you're planning your garden, the other thing <laughs> that you should consider is look around and recognize that you've got some pretty big and valuable residents, if you're lucky, in your garden. And that would be your trees. And your trees really affect your landscape in a lot of different ways. One, because your tree roots are basically everywhere. Ideally, your trees are going to, your tree roots are going to be two to three times as far away as the canopy of the tree. So you'll be dealing with a lot of tree roots. It affects the light and how the light moves through your garden um, and the patterns of light that play in that garden. Um, so those are some things, like I said, to consider. They're a huge benefit to your landscape. They're one of the most valuable landscape pieces that you've got. Um, the time invested makes them almost impossible to replace in your lifetime um, if you have a good-sized tree. So consider those things in your landscape, you know, while you're trying to plan those things. The other thing I'd like to suggest is get a soil test and know what kind of soil you're working with. Because, um, like I said, soils vary in this valley so greatly. And there are plants that will do much better in a high pH soil and others that won't do well at all. For example, we have a hard time in this valley growing pin oaks. Pin oaks are quite susceptible to iron deficiency. It's not that the iron is not in the soil. It's just that our high pH binds up that um, element and makes it unavailable to the trees and um, or to other plants that will suffer then from iron deficiency. So get a soil test done. There are many laboratories in this valley that do soil tests. Um, your extension offices do soil tests, but I would highly recommend before you start doing a lot of major landscaping, know what you're working with um, and, and what parameters you have to work within. It's not easy um, to change the pH of your soil. It's not, it's basically impossible to change the pH of your soil um, without ongoing effort. So keep that in mind when you're doing something like that. Um, I wanted to remind you earlier, I said I'd talk a little bit about xeric gardening, um, which I will do briefly. And that is xeric is low water landscapes. There are um, 
there are xeric gardens around, display gardens. And I know that a lot of people think that low water gardens or xeric gardens um, aren't or can't be an attractive, very colorful landscape. But I think you'd be surprised when you start looking at plants, um, perennials, and a lot of the native plants um, are quite colorful and colorful and can give you a lot of good year-round color. So um, keep that in mind too when you're looking when you're looking at landscapes is once again the geographic location are low water here. If you're on city water, um, it's not it's not inexpensive to use city water to you know to, for your landscape. So anytime we can come, can cut back on our water use, yay, the better we are. So um, those are some big considerations that you might want to think about in your yard and your garden. The other thing that I'd like to um, offer up as a suggestion is when you are doing your landscape, redoing your landscape or considering redoing your irrigation, um, it's important that you create irrigation zones. Not all plants need the same amount of water and they certainly, most of them don't need as much um, water as your turf. So your turf should always be on its own irrigation system with your um, plants kind of planted in communities um, that have similar um, cultural requirements. So if they are low water, that's what they're going to get is low water. If you have plants that require more irrigation or more moisture, you can certainly, um, you know, program your sprinkler system so that um, they get the adequate water that they need to stay healthy. If you are a person like me who does not have a sprinkler system and drags a hose around, it will also make um, make your irrigating much easier if you put your plants into those communities so that you can just water little by little. So once again, folks, here we are in February with um, <laughs> with our gardening season knocking at our door. You are probably getting gardening catalogs where you can sit and dream and look at uh, pictures of things that uh, you want to plant. I know seeds are showing up um, or will be showing up soon at um, D&B. And then uh, shortly after that, we're going to be lucky enough to have plants showing up uh, if you are one of those that wants to um, grow plants um, without growing the seeds. Um, but like I said, all of that is only about 100 days away. So that that is a pretty, um, that's pretty exciting. You are a gardener and you're looking for um, the gardening season. It's right around the corner. One thing that I will remind you of um, briefly is that if you have had, there are so many things that you can be thinking about this time of year, but if you have had problems with um, leaf fungus, or if you have had the shot hole fungus or perennium blight, as it's called, on any of your stone fruit, um, it's a good time of year to start thinking about treating those. We treat those with a while the tree is dormant so that um, the spray can get to all of the nooks um, and crannies and cracks and crevices um, and on along those buds that are holding those fungal spores. And so this would be the time of year to think about that. Um, D&B Supply has exactly what you need and they'll be able to help you get the right product. Now's the time to start thinking about that. Uh, pay attention to the temperature gauge that's on the label and um, and 
And that, like I said, now is the time to start thinking about that. It's also time to start thinking about your dormant oil. If you are using a dormant oil for any kind of insect control, now is the time to start thinking about that as well. So um, I thought I'd end today with a little thought by a woman named Josephine News. And I'm going to take the liberty of changing one word from January to winter. Uh, But here's what it says. Anyone who thinks gardening begins in the spring and ends in the fall is missing the best part of gardening the whole year. For gardening begins in winter with the dream. So now's the time, folks, that we can sit back and um, take a deep breath and get ready and dream about what we're going to do with our garden this year. I'm pretty excited and I hope you are too. Have a great February and I'll see you next month with more of the Lawn and Garden D&B Supply show right here. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.